because I bet a plane flight on it. This is MuggleCast episode 224 for April 4th, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 224. Eric and I are here this week. Um, We're sorry for the later than planned release of episode 224 um it's been one of those weeks (laughs) and our news anchor is gone he's on duty today in new york city working hard bringing mugonet.com visitors lots of coverage um from the exhibition and what's the other thing oh the dvd red carpet wow i think he's having a good time i think he is too I think uh, by, by all by all reports uh, on MuggleNet, Micah seems to be having the time of his life. Yeah, and he got a chance actually to speak to David Heyman, the film producer, so we'll get to hear um, what he had to say. I still haven't heard what they talked about, have you? Uh, yes, yes, actually. He, oh. Yeah, he talked about, um, well, you know, Micah introduced himself, and, and uh, it ended with David Heyman saying uh, that he hoped that Micah enjoyed the, the final film. Oh, nice guy! Not very nice. I bet if Micah hated it and Heyman said that to him, he would still pretend like it was good. Because I don't think Micah would ever be honest, brutally honest to Heyman's face. No, yeah, not to Heyman though, because Heyman is always yeah. so polite and so nice. So yeah, yeah, Micah, Micah has a little crush on Heyman. I think I do too. <laughs> anyway, um, so this this episode is not going to have chapter by chapter. It's going to be a different format because there's a lot of news we got to tell tell everybody about. Plus, Eric and I. We were very lucky. We got to go to the um, Deathly Hallows Part 2 test screening in Chicago earlier, uh, just a few days ago. It was what? Uh, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For those of you who have been familiar with uh, this, in the past, they always do a test screening of the latest Harry Potter film a couple months prior to release. And it's, 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 it's historically, it's been in Chicago. And uh, this time, Andrew and I got in. Thanks yeah, to a it's, very, very happy MuggleNet reader, Muggle, MuggleCast listener, actually. Mercedes, yes. Off. yes. And it, it, people forget this, um, and we say it every time, but they don't believe us or something. We don't know for sure that when this mysterious test screening is happening that it is Harry Potter. We just assume from past test screenings that it is Harry Potter. So... I bet a plane flight on it, in this case. <laughs> Eric lives in Chicago. Um, but, you know, we assumed it had to be. It had to, The timing was right. Everything made sense. It's true. And it's true. There's, there's nothing... There was never any knowledge ahead of time that this was going to be Harry Potter. I think that's... That is an important point. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a little bit. First, a couple news items to catch everybody up on. Um, no plans for a Harry Potter hotel near the Leavesden Museum. Oh. And... This was something that Micah, he was all excited about last episode. And I don't know if you remember, Eric, but I was kind of like, mm, I don't know, guys, this seems kind of uh, weird. I don't know if I believe it, you know, because it would, it would, it seemed odd that a, an entire hotel would be built around Harry Potter, um, in well, the middle on. of nowhere. They're building, they're, but they're building the whole ex, this, 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 this museum for Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah, but that already exists. 
I don't <laughs> know. I mean, of, I guess that's I guess that's a valid point. USA Today posted it, wasn't it? USA Today posted. Yeah. The, so so it was a credible source talking yeah, about this true. Potter Hotel, but but as it turns out, it's not happening. So that's that's interesting. But I I, I don't know. I've always found this this Leavesden Museum to be kind of odd because especially what's happening this week is Harry Potter the exhibition is alive and well touring the world. Yeah. For the next uh, I think it's four years they have it planned. Um, obviously, this Leavesden Museum is is a chance to see you know the sets. On the stages where they, or you know, on a different stage, but in the same location where they were, you know, built. So it, it, it's going to be magical and and quite different. But I always thought it was weird because all these, uh, you know, all these all these props and everything are kind of shared now between these two museums. But um, yeah, that is true. And it's slightly odd. yeah. So what does it mean about people who want to stay in London and see this Leavesden? What's going I, I'm on? I'm guessing they're gonna they're gonna have some bus plans, so you'll be able to stay in London. You'll take a 45-minute bus ride up to Leavesden, and uh, it'll take you back home all on the same day. I mean, or you could stay in a hotel, but there's not much to do up there other than the museum. So, like, I don't know. Unless you want to get a good look at, like, suburban England life, then you probably just want to do the bus ride. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, I, I say that uh, being in a, a spoiled American who went to visit Jamie, who lived in middle of nowhere England, and it's not that exciting. You know? It's suburban life, just like in America. Not even uh, suburban. It's uh, lots of green. But hey, you know, to, to each his own. In some other news, the first poster for Deathly Hallows Part 2 was released, and this is a pretty awesome poster. It's not the Burning Castle, which we've seen for over a year now. That was promoting Parts 1 and 2. This one is Harry and Voldemort face-to-face, Somebody on my Twitter feed said it looked like Voldemort was giving Harry the finger, but I <laughs> it's don't It's the Elder think... Wand. He's giving Harry the Elder Wand. Oh, because now every time I look at it, I, I picture Voldemort giving Harry the finger. Actually, anyway, I you like this poster, say, Eric? Yeah, he's got a, he's got a pretty nubbed finger with these ridges then, because the Elder Wand has those little breaks in it, you know, mm-hmm. every every couple inches it comes out a little bit. But no, I, I first time I saw this poster, I got to be honest, I thought it was fake. Really? I th- I th- yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of blood. Like, a lot more blood than there have been in previous Potter posters, it just seems. Like, look at the gash on Dan Radcliffe's forehead. That on, is pretty on, brutal. On Harry's forehead. Like, it's not just a drop of blood here, or even a streak of blood. We're talking, like, instead of hair, there is this... It looks like brain matter, because it's shimmering, you know? They're trying to appeal to the people who really want, you know, see a film with a lot of action and gore. It's you know, true. besides all Harry Potter fans are going to see that see this movie, but, but they need they need to appeal to the broader audience as well. It's true, but there's a, you know, and if you look even closer, there's there's another streak of blood like on his lips, like on Harry's lips, like around his mouth. Like he's been. Are you sure that's been, not ketchup? Maybe he was eating. I mean, eating a hot dog before they, yeah. they filmed this. Maybe, maybe. Well, because the, battling takes a lot of calories, so you got to replenish. <laughs> now there are the fire and the ashes at the bottom of the poster is really really cool. I like the way that that's done. Um, yeah. And Voldemort too is 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 pretty bloody. I mean, he has the the slits for the nose, which are always kind of gross to look at up up front. But I I can totally see this poster in like a bus shelter or across you know spread across a a brick building somewhere in downtown LA, you know. And yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be. It, I think it's got the excitement. I think it's got the excitement. But there is a lot of blood. 
it's badass. I, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm I like the direction they're going in, and I think it's a good sign for the other po- the million other posters to come. What with does that mean? Characters. What do you think? How could they top this one? How how in what ways <laughs> could they top this one? I mean, you know, just other you know how they do all the solo shots of the individual characters. I, I like the theme that they're going for. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> That'd be interesting. So do you think and the tagline? Be- it all ends. What did it say? It ends here. It, ends it, here, it right? all ends. Well, the 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 burning Hogwarts said it all ends here, and now this one says it all ends seven fifteen, for July fifteenth. Right. So that's mm. that's kind of cool. Um, that also is a message that kind of speaks to us too, because this is you know <laughs> t- ten years of Harry Potter films. Like seriously, the people who are going to be most excited for this poster are also going to be. You know, their world is coming to an end. Our world is coming to an end soon enough. Well, as I tweeted after seeing the test screening, I was the first person to uh, individually confirm that the um, that there is life post Potter. <laughs> yeah, I was you? I was in a hospital the next night, but it had nothing to do with seeing the Harry Potter films. It's, <laughs> the eighth Harry Potter film. It's very true. Um, but okay. you feeling all right now? <laughs> uh yes better so there is Not life completely. there is there life, is life. yeah and you know what i well never mind i won't get into it how to succeed in business opened in new york city and andrew or <laughs> andrew oh, as you can tell i'm reading straight from the google doc uh micah and i attended the musical um and i gotta say it was really good uh, we had a great time micah is not too big a fan of musicals but he went and he enjoyed it thoroughly, and actually, he was laughing more than I was. There was times <laughs> when Micah would start laughing, and I felt like I had to look as entertained as he was, so I started laughing along with him. Well, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it, and I, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to see it in like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, will you be judging it thoroughly to see if it lives up to your performance as Piers, J. Peer Finch? Um, J- What's his name again? <laughs> Pierpont. J. Pierpont Finch. You did, you did uh, really good. Um, no, no, no. I'm not going to be judging. I know it'll far surpass mine because obviously this is a professional production and... Uh, oh, don't, don't put yours down. No, 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 no. It was... Okay, mine Mine had a pretty big budget for, for a high school production and the costumes were great, but the dancing, from, from all accounts, Dan's dancing. We've seen video. There have been these production video trailers of How to Succeed that they've released on the web, and it just seems like the dancing that Dan is doing is going to be simply ridiculous. Like... It just seems that way. And not to mention singing, there have been clips already released. So yeah, I, I have a good feeling that Dan's performance is going to blow me away. And I fully expect to be blown away by, by everything about this show. But, but the fact that you guys have seen it and that even Micah really, really, really enjoyed it, um, gives me more hope that, that yeah. it's just going to continue to blow me away. Dan's singing, dancing, uh, um, overall performance, it was all really good. I mean, especially at the end, at the end, Dan is dancing his ass off and, um, he does a great job. Really, uh, just really impressive. And it's great to see Dan branching out and succeeding. <laughs> uh, so how's his American accent? Um, it was good. I actually thought the British accent, the English accent, um, leaked through a couple times, but, you know, it wasn't distracting or anything. Yeah, so. it's a work in, work in progress. Now, you saw him in Equus, too, right? Yes. Now, how are those different? How are those performances? Obviously... In this one, he wears more clothes. Clothes. Okay. I can't remember if he... Was he... No, he's not shirtless in this one at all. <laughs> um, Or pantsless or underwearless. <laughs> oh, God. That's right. He was nude, wasn't he, for a period yeah. there? 
mm-hmm. in Equus. That's so. This one, I would say, I mean, in terms of a audience, is obviously how to succeed a- appeals to a much larger audience. Oh. Um, so I would say, in that regard, this one's better. It's it's funny, whereas Equus was very dark, dramatic. Um, this is a complete the complete opposite. Okay, and, and now, um, yeah. Hmm? Oh, I, and I wanted to mention, um, you know, before we move on, that the cast of of Harry Potter has now seen Dan in the musical. Yeah, um, which is really nice. Kind of an update. They're all in town, and we'll find out why, you know, next time Mike is with us, because he's got, they've been doing so many press events, and Mike has been covering them. But Ivana Lynch wrote on her Twitter last night that they had actually, they were all in town. I mean, David Heyman, Warwick Davis, everybody you can think of, Robbie Coltrane, Phelps Twins, Phelps everybody. Twins, yeah. yeah. And they said that, uh, or Ivana Lynch wrote that they saw Dan on Broadway uh, in his show, and How to Succeed, that he smashed it. I think were Ivana's words and that they all really enjoyed uh, his performance. So that, that's gotta be wonderful. Like, you know, for Dan, because his whole family, like, you know, all these other actors that he's worked with come to support him and see his show. And not to mention, you know, David Heyman, David Barron, David Yates, it must've been amazing, a wonderful night. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm I'm happy for them all. I'm sure that was a good, a fun night. And don't forget, um, Eric's interview with Dan Radcliffe is now on MuggleNet.com. We'll include a link in the show notes. Eric obviously did a really good job with that interview since he was in a different version of that play. I, yeah, Eric. I wanted to, I wanted to give us the, the edge with those, uh, sort of more intimate questions about the show, which I think Dan really responded to. So it was really kind of cool. Um, yeah. Really, really lucky. Really nice guy. But, but he talks. He does tend to, to answer questions, um, at length. So it was it was tough because we were timed to to actually get in all the questions we have, but we did a good job. I think he really responded to it, so it's a good interview. So visit MuggleNet.com for that. Before we continue with today's episode, we'd like to remind you that this week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. It's a hot series lately. You should definitely check it out. So for a free audiobook of your choice, such as The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. We thank Audible for their support of Mugglecast. Okay, now the big news of the week. Like I said at the beginning of the show, um, Eric and I had the very... High honor, um, privilege to see Deathly Hallows Part 2 in Chicago. Like we said, again, <laughs> I bet a plane ticket on it. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, Eric lived in town, so it wasn't as risky for him. We, all we knew was it was a test screening and timing of it lined up and all that. So we did post our initial spoiler free reactions on mugonet.com. And I think, is that what we're going to do, Eric? Maybe start with those, maybe just browse through a couple of those yeah yeah initial out. initial thoughts uh, you know especially um just just you know the the quick things we can report so that but at the same time you know keeping keeping free i have i know i have a lot of friends who i told them we were you know going to record mugglecast about this this film and they said oh i might not listen to it you know because it's going to be all spoilery so so there are people who want to you know don't want to be spoiled people i know and i understand that 
And I respect that. So at first, we're just going to talk about it kind of, kind of over, you know, all the things that we felt were safe to talk about. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll, we'll give you a timestamp to return to the show after we sort of discuss a lot of the, the fan questions. Cause even though there's a group of fans who don't want to be spoiled, spoiled, there are, there's another distinct separate group of fans who do really want to hear at least a little yeah. bit about it. So, yeah. so I think we'll, we'll try and play to both audiences on, on this show and, um, we'll see where that gets us. So for now, if you, if you don't want to be spoiled, that's fine. We're going to talk about the movie in a spoiler free manner and we'll warn you when we start talking about the spoilers. So let's talk about Mercedes at first because we haven't, we kind of mentioned yeah. her earlier, but, uh, she emailed in, I guess, to, to MuggleCast. Yeah, and, and she she said, "Hey, I I got invited to this test screening, and I think it's Harry Potter." And so we spoke to her at length, and um, she seemed she was really serious about it. She gave us her phone number. She was like, "Call me. This is serious, <laughs> not a and joke." We were like, okay, <laughs> and so we spoke with her, and um, yeah, we she graciously um added our names to the to the list, and th- thank you so much to her because yeah. otherwise, like for me personally. If she hadn't give us, given us like six days advance notice, we I I, I personally you, wouldn't have. Yeah, you it, so. you couldn't have done it because you right. were already on your way back to Los Angeles. LA, yeah, and I never would have had the rare opportunity to sleep in Eric Skull's bed. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You you lucky sob. So the the other thing I want to talk about. Let's talk about first how unfinished the film was. Just just so people yeah. just to kind of clear the air here. Um. I want to say that, 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 that this film in particular has a lot more special effects, um, than the previous films. Like, that could have been guessed, cause, you know, a lot of the film is the final battle, as also could be guessed. Now, because we're seeing this screening, or we saw this screening at the same time, like, say about three months prior to release, as we had seen the, or as I had seen the other, the last two films, uh, the difference was that, that it was even less finished. Than, than previous test screenings. And, and I think, I, I do want to mention the, the title cards. Andrew, do you take it from me or what do you, what did you think about those? Well, it, the title cards were very funny because what happened was when they, when a scene wasn't complete, um, to help the audience understand what was going on, they added subtitles, you know, like, uh, uh, like captions that you would see <laughs> on, uh, you know, for, um, for deaf people, you know, it'd be at the bottom. And so we saw several of those throughout the film and some of them were so descriptive, uh, even during very dramatic, important scenes that the audience roared with laughter <laughs> because it just, the writing was so ridiculous on these very dramatic scenes. And we won't talk about it now because it would be spoiling. It would be spoiler. But, um, yeah. But yeah, and I, and I, and I just think the, these test screenings are done to an innocent audience of varying ages, races, genders, everything. You know, they try and pull aside an assortment of, of pretty much everybody so that they can judge where the laughs land and, and, and to make sure that the film is hitting in the right moments that the, the producers and the directors want. And, and, right. you know, the, the directors are always at, at these screenings, which is, which is really cool because, because David Yates, um, and, you know, David Heyman and David Barron were all there and, the, and the editor. But I think this time with all of these funny, funny, funny cue cards, title cards going, it was kind of bittersweet for them, I, I think, because, you know, obviously it was, the film was more amusing than it will be when it's completed. And I yeah. think, uh, but well, I do I, think, yeah. I felt really bad for Heyman and Yates because like during this one scene where everybody started laughing at the subtitle, 
that was that appeared on the screen. It was a very dramatic scene that they would want to, you know, like look around in the audience and see if people were crying or something. But instead, yeah. everybody was laughing, and I felt bad. <laughs> but yeah, but for the most part, I think. Um, oh, the acting though, I you know, and I just have to say without again without spoiling, everybody's picked it up a notch in this film. And when those special effects are completed, and and the captions hopefully or maybe not hopefully removed from the final finished product, I think we're gonna have the most epic film definitely in scope you know and and i think it's going to be um you know we see so much of hogwarts we see so you know new, you know it's just the, this the battle and everything to do with it is just really massive and i'm i have to say i i think it's just going to blow everybody away the inter- the interviews we saw i guess maybe 6 months ago maybe a bit more were correct the battle of hogwarts is 45 minutes to an hour i would say and um only like like where do you where are you counting from um i would count i would count from when harry gets there from when harry gets to hogwarts yeah when he arrives at hogwarts and rallies the rallies the troops oh i would argue that it's uh maybe an hour 15 um at the most yeah you may be right so it is a good chunk of the film, and and that's important, I think. And th- that was the advantage of part two. I mean, th- that never would have happened if this were just one film. It's really weird too, because looking back, you try and look back and imagine what would this film have looked like if it were only one film. And I think you're totally right. Like there was, and 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 it was the right call to make to split the films. Not like that. Not like Breaking Dawn. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I think this was a very wise decision. And speaking of length. Um, the film is two hours, which David Heyman and David Barron, the two producers, said um, at CinemaCon last week. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of up in arms in this. They were saying, two hours? Come on, what the hell? But me personally, Eric, tell me if you agree, two hours was plenty. I did not need any more. And honestly, there was a point or two when I was watching the movie, and I was like, come on, let's go. <laughs> let's wrap this up. <laughs> well, I, yeah, um, I, th- I thought the pace was good. I I, 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 de- I never felt like there there needed to be less. But but I, I do think that the two hours is a healthy length, I think. And, and it may be a little bit longer. It was two hours for us, but I think it may be a little bit longer once, you know, obviously the, the special effects are completed and, and, you know, the music is added. And I, I think that's a, a really important point, too. You know, there was no music when, when we saw it. But the two hours, which, again, was revealed by Heyman and um, Baron at, at CinemaCon last week, uh, it makes it it makes this film the shortest film. Um but, you know, even when that news was revealed, what does that mean for it to be the shortest film? Well, it can be, it can still be two hours or night and like 19 minutes in length and still be the shortest film. It's about two hours. And I think that that's a good length. Let's see. What else should we talk about here? Let's see if we can do any more spoiler free stuff, you know, besides what has kind of been revealed in the news. Should we talk about the, uh, the scenes that were leaked? Um, just as it, as it, pertains the, to the film or the opening on the dvd on the part one dvd is that what you're talking yeah, about yeah maybe that's a spoiler as uh you know about about that uh um we well here's that. something the, the humor in the film um there you know this is obviously this part of the book is a very serious part there isn't much humor there are some moments that you know might motivate you when you're reading it because it's it's like really inspiring to see all these people uniting together to take on Voldemort but i i noticed in part 2 that there were a couple instances of humor 
that were not needed and they seemed kind of forced to me. And there was one point in particular that annoyed me so much. And again, I won't go into it now because it'd be spoiling it, but it, I'm just a bit worried that the producers and the director, or maybe we have to blame Steve Clovis for this, felt like in order for a Harry Potter movie to be a Harry Potter movie, they had to inject a couple pieces of dialogue that are funny, but it seems a bit out of place. Hmm. And what I wrote in our spoiler-free review on MangoNet was that it's not necessary when there's so much action going on and... um and you know, it doesn't need to be there to make up a good film. The action yeah. takes up that that place, so there's no need for the humor. But they the, put it in anyway, and it's kind of disappointing. Well, I oh, I don't think it's disappointing at all. But I do think that that that, that the attempt was certainly to give every character their moment. I, I think that that was something that they really strive to do because obviously there are a ton of characters. There are a lot of recurring characters. Won't mention who in this part, but you know, all of these characters that we've, you know, come to know and love, you know, they, they really wanted to make sure that, that every one of them was, was seen. And I think that a lot of these, these funny moments were, you know, added or created or shifted in there just to, just to make sure that, that, you know, fans who, especially, Fans who view, after viewing part one, uh, when it's just Harry, Ron, and Hermione for so long, and you know the book was like that, you know, seeing everybody again is is, is kind of going to be going to be really um, rewarding, I think. Yeah. So 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 perhaps you know because we were going into it not looking at it, you know, from from you know previous films or anything that you know it might it might actually stand the test. It might actually look a lot better, you know, once the film is complete and once we can kind of focus on on sort of everything else. I I think the action though is is absolutely you know in comparison with previous films um, where there's a lot of melodrama where it gets darker every film. There are sad scenes in here. Let's not you know let's be honest, but I think a lot of what it is offset by is the action and the fast pace of everything because Harry's got four Horcruxes or more to destroy and uh, and he's got to kill Voldemort and the Battle of Hogwarts has to happen so it's a lot of a lot of fast paced stuff speaking of sad scenes that reminds me Eric you were a bit of a crybaby when we were watching the movie oh come on you were si- <laughs> you were sitting next to me I, but I, I heard think- a lot of sniffling <laughs> I, you know what it was? I was trying to force myself to cry to say that I'd be able to cry. That's what it was. That's oh, what I'm brother. sticking. That's the story I'm sticking to. Um, you know, if I weren't having my health problems, I probably would have been a little more wrapped up in it too. But at the time, they were kind of pulling me out of the zone. But <laughs> yes, there are some very imp- um, important emotional scenes that, like, kind of like as I think back on them now, they kind of blow my mind in terms of you know epicness. I got to say they were really good, and um, you weren't the only one crying, of course. There were other, I mean, you weren't crying. You were. Uh, yeah, I no, there was wetness in my eye, and that was legitimate. I wasn't forcing anything there because I, it's I, justifiable. It, these uh, and all the time when I was watching the film, I was thinking it all ends here. It all ends here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you just can't think about that. You got to think about that after. So something. that definitely helps. So, um, yeah. Anything else? I mean, I think um, I, I I just thought of one more thing, which is that I really feel like uh, you know people fans like to watch these Harry Potter films back to back, and I think one you know one of the the most successful films to watch back to back are going to be part one and part two. I really felt given the, given the beginning of part two and where part one ends that they're going to flow really well, um, together. Did you, would you agree agree. with that? Yeah, Yeah. Because part two, part two does pick up, um, pretty quick. 
there there's not much there's not much of an intro to part two. There's not a slow start. I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's a good point. You know, because before it was always he's back at the Dursleys or something, and right, you know, and it's it's, it's quite a while before something happens. But yeah. right away you're jump you're sort of into the action and. You know, obviously these films were filmed at the same time, so they're the same age. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing to take you out of it. You're kind of. <laughs> they don't have uh, dramatically different haircuts, like between <laughs> three and four and four and five. But when everybody had to get, movie four was like, let's all go in and get really long hair. <laughs> and then five was, let's cut it. <laughs> <laughs> let's cut it. That thing we did with our hair, we need to undo but, that. But Emma, Emma waited until movie after movie eight. I'm so happy. She would have just looked so strange in this film yeah. without without her her normal Hermione hair. Um, although Bellatrix could have like attacked her and and cut it off, maybe if they needed a scene. <laughs> That's um, true. So shall we segue? Um, oh, the one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, the interview with Kieran Hines. We talked about on oh, uh, yeah. a few episodes ago. He had said that he had a blink and you'll miss appearance, and this worried us because we were like, "Wow, they're cutting his time down." But it, that's not the case. You see a lot of him, and yeah. something I actually haven't mentioned yet in the report or anything, and haven't talked to you about is that I actually Aberforth looks great, and he has somewhat of a resemblance to Dumbledore. Um, in terms of his hair, I thought at least. Did you notice that? You mean to Michael Gammon's Dumbledore? Yeah, like yeah. overall too. And and yeah, I really felt that way. And I think you know we've examined what could Kieran Hines possibly mean. You know, fans sending their emails about you know blinking, you'll miss it. Meet you know in several different interpretations. I think I'm gonna, you know I'm gonna go out on a limb and say every single one of those interpretations of 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 how you know Kieran Hines could have a blink and you'll miss role I think I still disagree and I think everybody will will kind of uh, agree once they see the film that his role in no way is 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 blink and you'll miss it well unless he I was agree. unless he meant that you know he was very fortunate and proud to have gotten the chance to play that role because he does shine and and there is a lot of Aberforth in this film so 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 but everything to do with whether or not his role was cut or omitted or downsized that is not the case just for people who were worried well said all right uh, two more questions i have in the google doc first um i wanted to say that this this is this movie is very rewatchable i think um within 24 hours i was already really excited to see it again um because there's so many giant scenes in this movie it's a lot to take in more so than the other films despite it being only two hours and um yeah i think it's just a great ending overall this is a wonderful film i think all the fans are going to enjoy it all the fans are going to be pulled into it and feel very emotional and it's going to be a great ending. Do you, do you feel the same way? That's a good, yeah, that's a good idea. This film won't be perhaps as exhausting a two and a half hours or, you know, endeavor as, as other films are simply because it is a lot of action. It is a lot of, and, and you know, the film leaves us in a good place as does the book where, you know, 19 years later, everything's happy and, it being a, a conclusion is also a lot more re- rewarding because the mystery is resolved, you know, as opposed to other films where it's kind of like it always has to end on a cliffhanger because it's not the last film in the series. This one will do that. And so maybe just for that reason alone, this film is going to be more rewatchable. That's a, that's a really good point. All right. And, uh, Best film, of the, I don't know, you know what, I think we should, should save the best film in the series question for once we see the movie with the special effects and the music and all that. Yeah, I completely agree. it's not agree. fair, yeah. yeah. 
I didn't think about that. Okay, so now we will get into the spoiler stuff. So again, if you don't want to be spoiled, just turn off the show now. And there will be another MogoCast soon, um, yes. because tons of news have yes. happened. Um, yes. So you'll hear from us. Don't worry about turning us off. You'll hear from us very soon. <laughs> okay, now into the spoiler stuff. This film sucked. No. <laughs> Worst uh, film where ever. You, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Let's start at the very beginning, Andrew. That's a very good place the to movie? start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we'll try to go like in chronological order. Well, and we you... don't need to list all the scenes, but we oh, do. God, we no. should. But we should talk about because we know I've listed them. But I think, um, you know, what we should talk about is how. Uh, how we felt about uh, sort of just the opening. What what surprised us? What surprised you about you know the first fifteen twenty minutes? The opening itself. Um, well, I, I thought a nice touch. Uh, the WB logo is almost like about to break apart. It's like crusting and <laughs> like one little touch from shattering into a million pieces. Like like um, burnt paper in a way. Yeah, it's it's sort of like with the bo- the final book cover. The curtains are kind of in a mess in a wreck. Um, so. Yeah, the, the, the opening is the, the tomb. We see Voldemort breaking in and g- gaining control of the Elder Wand. So we know, so that's a slight refresher, but really that's the only kind of, um, reminder of what happened in part one. So, and then it jumps right into the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Harry interviewing Griphook and Ollivander separately about, you know, the future, about what yeah. he has to do. And I think the, the quest for the Horcrux is just, overall in this film was done really well. I think in the book, what confused me, and, you know, again, I, I haven't really reread the book uh, too many times since it first came out. I just remember rushing through it the first time, and at the same time, I felt that the, you know, the Horcrux is mixed in with the battle. It's a little hard to follow, you know, towards the end of the book because so many exciting things are happening, but also Harry has to do so many things. In the film, they had to kind of realize and set, uh, you know, a do order almost for Harry where, you know, he's, he's got to do this and then he's got to do this and then he's got to do this and you have to watch it because they have to put it to like a pace. It actually made sort of a lot more sense. You know, as opposed to when you're reading it, you read at your own pace, so you can read four chapters at once, and so much stuff will have happened. Where, you know, in a movie, you you have to wait until they show it to you. So it's almost like, I, I thought that that was, the whole film is like that, where it makes a lot more, uh, it's a lot more gratifying to just watch Harry on his journey, and it's not, it's not slow, or it's not um, confusing. One thing that kind of bothered me, and this is very minor, but one thing that kind of bothered me was, um, Harry does not refer to Griphook by his name in the movie. He says, bring me the goblin, or bring me to the goblin. And the point behind that is that movie viewers don't really know his name, I guess. So they just figure, let's just call him the goblin, <laughs> the which goblin. was kind of like, all right, producers, see, this is what happens when you don't really, you know, plan ahead too much. But, Minor thing, minor thing. I, I don't know about that. You know, the first, one of the first lines in, in the room is, I, I don't know if you remember, but, and then Griphook says, uh, you know, I was the first one who brought you to your vault when you first came and to And that's Gringotts. in the book. That's, that's in the cool. book too, but, yeah. but that's also in the movie is what I'm saying. So, so they do make that connection without having to know who Griphook, who, who or what a Griphook is. Um, so getting into the Gringot scene, Hermione, um, we were both impressed, I think, by, uh, Bellatrix playing Hermione playing Bellatrix. Yeah, if that it makes was sense. it was weird. It was a short scene. I would have liked that scene to be a little bit longer. The build up, 
Um, I think because all of a sudden Hermione's like walking up the hill and it's actually Helena Bonham Carter. But I, I thought at first that Hermione just hadn't changed yet because Helena Bonham Carter has matched Emma Watson to the point where you're looking at, uh, Helena Bonham Carter's face and it looks, she looks like Emma Watson. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't distinguish the two. I really felt that it was Emma Watson when it was clearly Helena Bonham Carter. I, I don't know how no, you right. to say I, that. I, I felt the same way. I felt the same way. And they even, another uh, kind of fun book moment they, that they included was when um, Hermione, as Bellatrix, says good morning to somebody <laughs> in uh, Diagon Alley. And Ron, or what, is it Ron or Harry? I get, or Griphook? One of them says... Um, you know, yeah, don't. Why hook. are you being so polite? You're Bellatrix. Don't, yeah. don't, don't forget. Yeah. And then she gets. Then she turns bitchy. <laughs> so that was that was. See, that's a fun moment that makes sense because it's in the book, and you know, it okay, makes sense. Yeah. So, um, Gringotts, the the everything from you know the 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 minecart ride, which was which was partially completed, to um, you, you know, the dragon and the vault. W- what did you think? Um, about that, but also when, when they got in the vault, what did you think of the the vault scene? Because that is a scene that is a little bit different than in the book as well. I liked it, and actually, I was pretty impressed by the multiplying gold, the way it was animated, the way the gold actually multiplies in the vault, is how I think you would expect it to work. Like when you're reading the book, and I, I thought that was so. I was impressed by that. The one thing that doesn't happen is like in the book. Um, the, the gold is very hot. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember hearing any lines, anyone being like, ow, it's hot. (laughs) Right. Right, right, right. I think, you know, not necessary, but just a little change. Yeah. Kind of uh, claustrophobic in the book too, with, with, you know, the vault being closed and the, you know, everything's hot and heated. It's kind of scary, but the multiplier does serve the purpose of, you know, uh, being an enchantment that prevents people from stealing. Obviously, and it, and it is an adequate obstacle for for Harry. He's got enough going on because Griphook wants the sword for, in exchange for even breaking them in in the first place. So they've got a lot to deal with, and I think th- I do like the scene and the escape on the dragon is great. And film viewers actually don't know that Griphook wants the sword until it actually happens in the film, whereas in the book you know it ahead of time. Well, that's uh, not but- true. They 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 totally argue for it uh, when they're back at Shell Cottage. Oh, but but you don't know why. It's not explained why in the film um, why Griphook wants it. Like they get in the book, they get into the um, goblin made go- oh. goblin lore. Like you know, they're very possessive of their right. um, their items. So they didn't get into that, but they just didn't right. mention Godric Gryffindor. Yeah, where there's a line in the book to some, you know, I think he he says just because Gryffindor um, owned it doesn't make it his. You know, where it's like because because it's made by goblins, they believe it's theirs. But I think something to those to that effect is is stated. I just think you know things are happening a little fast in the in the vault. Yeah, so so I think um, vault was good. We I don't think we could fairly review it yet because actually a lot of the special effects in that scene weren't complete yet, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to look better than we saw it. But just just from the reactions of the goblins when the dragon escapes, I think that's going to be. I mean, that's that's a heck of a bang to start the film off on. And of course, they go straight straight from there to like Hogwarts, pretty much. So you know, with very little downtime, it's 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 an action packed film. Um, uh, the Aberforth stuff again. It's a pretty 
it's a good scene. There is some stuff cut down from the book, and sorry I keep comparing it to the book so much, but I like I, personally I can't help it. <laughs> I feel like we've That's been doing fine. it for so long comparing <laughs> it to the book that uh just got to keep on keep on doing that. But uh Aberforth great role, great performance I thought. Um uh they meet just like how they do in the book and Aberforth lets him into his place and we do get to um hear about Ariana, but as you noted here there's no talk about how she actually died. Yeah, there isn't, but at the same time, you know, Aberforth and Harry do talk at length about why Harry trusts Dumbledore and, and, and how Albus Dumbledore is not trustworthy. And, and, you know, Aberforth talks about, um, him being, you know, lust, lustful for power. And I think that, that it's really affected to the point where Harry in the film says, look, I don't care what happened to you and your brother. I trust. You know, Dumbledore. And, and, and it's really, really an interesting scene. Emotional, where, you know, you can tell, I mean, Kieran Hines is acting, you know, where it's like you, you, he's kind of hurt by, by Harry saying that he's given up and, you know, strives to prove him wrong by competing in the final battle. So it's, it's, it's pretty emotional. Pretty emotional all around. You know, emotions, tempers are flying, I think. Um, no goats, though. There is an absence of goats, aren't there? <laughs> Uh, I think you're right, but maybe that's because the special effects aren't complete, but <laughs> let's not get our hopes up. <laughs> um, so, um, Neville, you see Neville come through the portrait, Ariana brings it, brings him. Uh, you see the rumor requirements, you know, and there's a scene coming up now where in the rumor requirement, Ginny enters and says that Snape knows that Harry is in the castle. Now, here's where things start diverting from the book what happens is snape summons all the students into the great hall um and harry decides to go with everybody and he puts on his robes to blend in and goes to this meeting that's being held in the great hall snape does a speech in front of everyone saying we think harry's here if anyone's caught working with him helping him um what was the threat you will be punished uh, an equal a punishment befitting your tr- you know treason so basically the severity to which you help you know the 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 degree to which you help harry is going to be the degree to which you're punished and also he says knowledge about his whereabouts as well are are you know you're going to be punished equally so he basically i mean he threatens he he calls the whole student body as headmaster he calls the whole student body out of bed to the great hall and makes these threats and harry is not standing for it and and so harry jumps out out of the crowd and this this reminded me of the dark knight when the joker is walking with all the other police officers and sort of <laughs> jumps out and starts shooting everyone <laughs> that's what this, this reminded me of because they're all like in orderly lines like that um so harry and snape begin to duel mcgonagall jumps in helps harry and um Harry and Mag- McGonagall force Snape out, and Snape um, flees, and he does turn into the bat-like figure. Mm-hmm. And um, now, so what obviously has been cut here is Harry does not go into the Ravendor uh, common room to go looking for the mysterious Ravenclaw, Ravenclaw-related Horcrux. Right, and David Heyman just spoke about that today, uh, one of Micah's reports. You know, and, and he me- he mentions this specifically where, you know, Snape and McGonagall fighting does not take place while Harry's on his way to the Ravenclaw common room. Instead, it takes place in this Great Hall scene. And I think 
you know, again, it, it, it makes perfect sense in the film. I'm not going to complain about the difference between the book, you know, in this particular instance, because I think it's really moving where Harry, you know, is at first confronts Snape, says, how dare you stand where he stood, meaning Dumbledore. And, you know, Snape is about to attack Harry and McGonagall has to intervene. I think, you know, even what they did with the Slytherin students, like uh, Pansy Parkinson says, somebody grab him, you know, meaning Harry. And then the order who has just arrived encloses around him, protecting him. I think it's great character moments. And I think that that's what, you know, if you're alone in a, a Hogwarts corridor and suddenly there's a Snape-shaped hole in the wall, as it was in the book, it doesn't mean as much. And honestly, I, I actually, I didn't like it at first, but afterward I came to realize that um, I was thinking about it a lot. I couldn't stop thinking about that scene. And it is pretty cool to watch um, Snape and McGonagall duel and Harry, and all the students around. Yeah, so that that's that's one of the first big changes, and it, it did end up working. Like, mm. I think we uh, yeah. both agree. So I think, instead of going exactly scene by scene, because there's a lot that happens at Hogwarts, we should talk about more, and, and you know, also for time-saving, we should spoil sort of specifics. Like, just specifics of what comes to mind about Voldemort, and, like, what did you think about Voldemort in this film? You know what? I, I brought this up. He, uh, I brought this up to you the other day. I realized that he does have a huge presence in this movie and you're kind of not used to it, but of course it fits so well. And by that, I mean, you, you know, in other films, you only see him a couple times or in this one, he's in a good probably hour or more of it. And it's great to see him in action. And Ray Fiennes does an amazing job. There are a couple of scenes that bothered me. And there's this one that, and this is another big change, and this is kind of jumping ahead. It is when Harry, at one point, Harry and Voldemort run into each other, and Harry pulls him off a ledge, a cliff, and they start basically flying around in the air, and, like, at one point, their faces merge, and the special effects weren't complete on that yet, but that's definitely what was going on. And it was just weird, and it was kind of hard to follow, at least the first time watching it. Maybe just because the special effects weren't complete, but I was really taken aback by it. Because, you know, they spend a lot of time being really close to each other. And I was just thinking, like, you know, it, it, first of all, it's gross that Voldemort is so close to Harry. It's just like, it was just <laughs> grossing me out. And also, if they were really ever that close to each other, one of them would have killed the other. Well, no, they're in a headlock, a headlock of a battle of a battle of of wills. At that point, you know, it just I, doesn't I, make sense for these two huge enemies to be this close to each other and not. not I, I fight. think that's what I think that's what's special about it. I think because they have such a uh, they're such opposites that you know for, for for and they're hunt they've hunted each other for eight years or whatever. And I think Voldemort has spent the last couple hours in the film, you know, being more and more weak, more and more vulnerable, that really, when it comes time to, to duel Harry, it, it's it's a fist fight, is what it is. It's more so than even magic. It, it, it's, you know, Harry grabs Voldemort and says, let's, let's finish this like we started it together, pulls him off the cliff, and obviously Voldemort wants to not die, so he starts flying, and Harry's grabbing onto him, and they're both, like, just wrestling in the air it's awesome and it's a great way to show hogwarts from from above but that's just my opinion and i think but but when when their faces merge as you said and it was completely not 
um, a finished effect, but you could tell that that's the idea that's going to be in the film. I thought that was fascinating because it reminded me of movie five when, you know, Dumbledore and Voldemort are fighting at the very end in the ministry. Voldemort disappears and is all of a sudden actually no longer a physical presence, but begins to possess Harry. And it's the idea that Voldemort is such a powerful dark wizard that he can just leave his body or no longer be rooted to the to the physical plane where he can begin to possess Harry or that they're fighting so closely that that they're like, you know, one almost that it's like this intrinsic uh battle of good and evil. I I just thought that the imagery, everything I I liked everything about that. Um but I'm I can gonna reserve I can more judgment. Yeah, because it is such a departure from the books, and I just don't like how they are so close to each other for that long period of time. It's just, it doesn't feel right. Uh, but I'll reserve final judgment until, you know, the special effects are complete, because a lot of that wasn't. But did you think that Voldemort, uh, you know, as a separate topic, did you think that Voldemort, um, in this film was, was, uh, a compelling villain? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. Why not? Okay. No, I'm just wondering because I mean, because well, the problem is mean? we've well, okay. So we've we've seen so little of him in previous films. We said this. Maybe I mean he's like the villain of the series, the main villain. He's on all the promotional posters. You will lose everything. But he's only in five minutes of the film towards the end and always thwarted. This is this is the first movie where we see him, how he thinks, how he commands his armies. The victory speech when he believes that Harry is dead is such insight into well Ray Fine's playing Voldemort that it's amazing but i think the 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 problem is with this film you have to believe that there's a chance just like in the book you have to believe there's a chance that Harry could lose and so does the film make you think that no okay okay <laughs> i mean i mean i guess i don't know how i don't know i i really don't know how anyone could watch this and think that Harry would lose <laughs> You know but what I mean? I guess, okay, so what I should ask then is, that, like, is Voldemort at least interesting to watch? Because you see so yeah, much more yes. of him. And yes. I think, you know, he's, you, you, you love to hate him, almost. Yeah, and, and Ray Fiennes does, does a good job in, in, in portraying the role. But uh, like I mentioned before, you would assume that if Rafe or that if Voldemort was getting this close to Harry, he was gonna kill him. He wasn't gonna roll down a hill and, like, put each other in a headlock it just that just again it <laughs> well, didn't make sense a lot of it is chasing they are they are throwing spells at each other the whole time when they chase through hogwarts but um but yeah i i think voldemort in the books maybe in a different way in book 7 was beginning to lose his way was beginning to kind of not panic but he made a lot of silly decisions i think in the end with with how to handle everything and i think in the film it's a lot more cat and mouse like chasing just chasing across it's i guess it makes for more spectacle and maybe that's why i shouldn't like it but it probably is spectacle yeah yeah but i th- but i think definitely i mean i i understand what you're saying um changing the topic a little bit what what about snape um snape and- was great yeah. yeah okay uh particularly the prince's tale now admittedly i had to run to the bathroom uh a couple of minutes into the prince's tale uh and i did it at that point because I know I'm analyzing my bathroom run. It's kind of weird. <laughs> but I, I did it then because I didn't want to miss the end, of course. I didn't want to miss Harry. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to miss something, I'll miss the prince's tail. But actually, I went to the bathroom and I came back and the prince's tail scene was still going on. <laughs> and um, so 
And so what you can take away from that is it's a good few minutes, and it's a yes. lot of scenes. Unlike the, the Snape's worst memory in Order of the Phoenix, which we were so happy they cast, that you know, Warner Brothers revealed the casting of young James Potter, young Sirius Black, young Peter Pettigrew, young Remus Lupin, young Lily Potter, for all of the, for that, for all of the 30 seconds of like half uh, uh, light shining on the trio laughing, or on, on the Marauders laughing, that we saw in the finished product of the film. This is much different. This is, and and not only, you know, for the large part, because a lot has to happen, but it's also a lot of adult acting as well. You know, Michael Gammon as Dumbledore and Snape discussing Harry being a Horcrux or discussing Snape's love for Lily and, and trying to get, yeah. trying to get Voldemort to protect Lily. Like all of that is in this, 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 this tale. And, and it is, as you say, a good length. I think that's probably the best, the best, uh, example of how long it is, to be honest. And um, my favorite scenes in the tale were Snape, seeing Snape vulnerable. And by that, I mean the, particularly the scenes with Dumbledore. When Snape, you see him looking so desperate and upset over the situation with Harry and Lily. And it really brings out this side of this character, which you had never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 um, this, <laughs> I, I told this to Micah, but what you missed, um, was actually, there's a line in there where Snape, just like in the book, he says to Dumbledore straight out, you're raising him like a pig for slaughter. <laughs> and I just thought what? to myself, yes! <laughs> no way! He says he that to pig him. For slaughter. He says, pig for slaughter. If they cut it from the final film, I'm gonna be so upset, because I, I'm fairly certain- We did certain- a whole episode but, on- well, yeah, pig for slaughter. Or pig for slaughter as as a as a term and about Dumbledore treating Harry and nobody's going to believe me if it's not in the final film. But I swear, and I think I remember it being in the book. But you know, particularly in the film, Alan Rickman asks Michael Gammon, "You're raising him like a pig for slaughter," and I just thought to myself, "Yes, <laughs> it was amazing because we did that on MuggleCast." But that was a personal yeah. triumph. That-, that was one of our best episodes. By the way, that was episode 116. I just looked it up. Real 116. Quick. Yeah, you and be ready. you know, it was it was kind of a couple. I mean, a couple months after book seven, and we were trying to figure out how to analyze it. And I think it was right after the revelation that Dumbledore was gay. Um, or maybe no, that was one seventeen. It was around that time, right before. So it was right yeah. before that revelation, and we really analyzed Dumbledore's motivations. So it was a really good episode. But um, Snape, Dumbledore. What about? Dumbledore in this film. Yeah, again, I thought, well, I mean, it was really good to see him. Um, you know, you kind of, you don't see him, I don't think you see him at all in part one, maybe a flashback. You see him in part two, you see a lot of him in part two, particularly I enjoyed King's Cross. A yeah. very bright scene, just Harry and, uh, and Dumbledore and the shriveled up Voldemort baby thing under the bench. It looked great. Harry was not naked like he is in the book. Yeah. And uh, that was to Eric's disappointment, but I said, Eric, it's okay. You can go watch some Equus videos on YouTube if you want to see Dan. I'm just kidding. It was a good scene. And the, the other time you see Dumbledore is the uh, the Prince's Tale, like we mentioned before. So yeah. Yeah, were, were you pleased with uh, Michael Gambon in, in this film? I, I was. I really, really was. And I think a lot of it has to do with... The, the, the balance that Dan and, and Michael have found in sort of portraying these characters, you know, particularly in King's Cross where Harry keeps asking Dumbledore questions, you know, it gives, it gives Dumbledore, it, it's kind of humorous, but it's also, it gives, um, Gammon something to, to be, 
uh, he's able to be wise in answering the questions. And I think that the way it's, the way that this, the scene is written is meant to be very, um, it, it suits Michael Gammon's, uh, strong points as Dumbledore, where he can be both, um, kind of guiding and, but also very, um, I want to say supportive, maybe. I, I don't quite know what I'm getting at, except I will answer your question by saying that that King's Cross is probably one of the, if not the standout scene for me um, in in the film. Not, not the least because of that baby thing, which is breathing in and out the whole time the scene is yeah. going on. You can hear this this raspy breathing, and it's like ominous and really kind of deranged and. The other thing about King's Cross is that it's this afterlife sequence, and for viewers of the film who have seen, you know, seven films, and now the, most of the eighth film of Harry Potter being set in the real world, you know, the films made the Wizarding World a real deal, a real thing. And now, we're to, for us to see this brightly lit King's Cross afterlife... Uh, l- like it was in the book, where you have to realize that it's really happening, or, you know, to whatever extent it's in Harry's head. To see it on film was even more special, I think. Um, it because, was. Because it's kind of like any, not science fiction film, but any film where we're meant to believe the, the fantastical, we were meant to believe that all over again, because it's now we're talking about heaven or purgatory or something else like that. And it was just really interesting to see. It's one thing to see the ghosts in the forest, you know, in the resurrection stone scene, because we're used to seeing ghosts in Harry's world, but to see Harry in the ghost world as a flip side of that was really unique. And I, I, I really liked that about King's Cross. And comparing it to the book again, uh, there are, there, there's, those very, you know, great lines in the book are there in the film. Uh, the one particular that stood out to me was Harry saying, um, is this all in my head? And, uh, or, or is this real? And, you know, Dumbledore says, um, it, of, of, of course, course it's in your head, but. Yeah. D- why, why on earth should that mean that it's not real? Not real. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was in there. And I think that's the last piece of dialogue that happens. And yeah, so that, that was, that was good. Now, uh, one important scene, I think, that we haven't touched on is, you know, Harry and Voldemort's actual final duel. And like we have seen in the, in the part one and two trailer that was released a long time ago at this point, um, you know, they're not dueling in the Great Hall. And mm-hmm. that was kind of a worry of some people. I know we voiced some, some concern because, the, you know, that's, that's the, the scene of the entire series. Harry finally defeating Voldemort. And, um, uh, I have to say, you know, I, I don't think it was bad. I think it was really good. The students are not around. They do come in after. Uh, actually, do they come in? No, I don't think people. People. No, don't they come don't. In we all. thought they'd come up late. Yeah, but they um they don't. And I think the reason for that too. I mean, a lot of students have died too at this point, where we've we've basically seen people, you know, Hogwarts students having to carry dead bodies of other Hogwarts students around and also the great hall becomes a refuge for that we've already seen they've used they basically used the great hall to stack the bodies of 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 people so so to have 
that and then the final battle, final, final confrontation in there would have been a little crowded. I mean, you know, the Great Hall... That's true. Perhaps in the film is not as big as it is in the books. But I think that, you know, because the Great Hall is is, is kind of like the Medi Ward of of this film, uh, of this battle, it, it that is the reason for the change. But um, that said, Bellatrix and Molly do confront each other in the Great Hall. Um, yes, and, and that, that scene... I liked it. It's not like the sound clips that we play from the audiobooks on the show. <laughs> it's not it all is, caps. It is, it is, it is different. More, Mrs. Weasley, I would say, is more firm. Yeah, more firm about it um, than crazy. But it, but it does happen, and Bellatrix uh, is given an end. But um, so, so that does happen. Now, Voldemort and Harry's final moments. Now, he does call him Tom. Um, but it's earlier on, you know, when, when he's sort of face to face with him, as Andrew said, kind of up close, physically close to him without killing him. Um, they're very, they're very, uh, I wish I could have find better words for that, but they're very, they're very interesting adversaries to see, you know, them just, just dealing with one another. But, but, um, he does call him Tom at one point, not sort of at the end, but it is revealed, you know, the ownership, the the Elder One, and things like that are all revealed, and I, I think it plays more or less like it does in the book, but but obviously in the new location, because by this point, they've gone all throughout Hogwarts. I mean, Hogwarts is wrecked. And, and, and like you mentioned earlier, you do see a ton of Hogwarts, which is really cool. Several uh, sweeping wide shots of the castle. Unfortunately, many of the special effects, effects were not complete, um, but things like, like stairwells, up, but- like a lot of battles, like even even the scenes with the snake that occur on the stairwells is very interesting. And Harry even at one point goes up to the divination tower and, you know, when Luna is chasing him and they both see this shield being brought around Hogwarts. Let's talk about that, the shield, actually, because that's not in the book. Um, yeah. And, you well, know, I mean, they put a shield over the castle, don't they? Uh, probably, they, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, magical think, shield, but it's never meant to be literal to be seen. I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course. So they did it in the movie. Of course, you do see it, and it's cool how it's set up. A, a, a few of the teachers go outside and start casting this this the shield charm, and basically it's this mini montage of the three or four teachers out there all reciting the same spell, and I think that added added a little epic epicness to it because you see them kind of uniting and building this <laughs> giant important force field yeah what i really liked was the build-up of 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 that shield and also you know the fortifying of hogwarts mcgonagall and the jews giant statues um but also voldemort uh trying to take down the shield where you know he's lost yet another horcrux i forget which one it might be the cup or the tiara and he's really angry now and he says i have to get he basically knows he has to break the shield, he puts all his effort into using his Elder Wand. The Elder Wand practically cracks and breaks, not to, you know, spoil anything, but because he's he's single-handedly destroying the shield, and it's just, he's such a powerful, dark wizard that, that, that he's able to, to begin the, the, the deconstruction of the shield, more so than any of his followers were. Um, but But he's so compelling. I think in in his his mortality is 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 a huge theme of the film, um, obviously. But I, I think it's done really well. Yeah. 
Um, what else? I mean, I think we've covered many of the big things. Yeah, all the big things. I think, I think, you know, there'll be specifics out there that people will write in and want to know. And I, you know, I think we'll handle those on a case by case, maybe not on the show yeah. even. Um, but you know, well, may, you know, of course, our actual film review show, we're going to have a, a lot to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do have to say right now, one of the more emotional scenes that we talked about, you know, Eric kind of sniffling a little bit, um, <laughs> was, when after the prince's tale when harry realizes what must be done and oh, they yeah. give time for that you see harry sort of like walk in a trance and he sits down on the steps in dumbledore's office and he comes to the realization of what he has to do and, and it was really well done because there is that time he has that time to sit there and think about it you, you don't hear anything you just see him thinking about um, about having to sacrifice himself about having to die and yeah. when he says, you know, goodbye to, to Ron and Hermione and it's finally goodbye, it felt real and it felt like the book. It felt like it did in the book where these, these characters actually, that is where it was easiest to cry, I think, because what I thought of immediately when they're, they're they, it takes place on the steps when Harry actually says goodbye to, to Ron and Hermione and because the steps were in such disarray, there were all these sh- shattered bricks and broken broken brick fragments of the steps and the halls of Hogwarts there. I was reminded immediately of the chessboard and that scene in movie one, not just book one, but movie one in particular, where they're so young and Ron has just been injured and Hermione urges Harry to go forward. And, oh yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You know where she says books and cleverness, and you know he the, there's that tender moment between Harry and Hermione. I was immediately brought back to that in this scene for for movie seven, and I think that that was that was what made me really start to tear up was was seeing how much older they are now. Okay, well I think um, that's about it for now. Like I said, we're gonna have more to talk about um, in the future, and uh, you know. Uh, this is a good time to plug LeakyCon because, of course, <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be doing our big movie review episode there. And uh, so, if you'd like to be a part of that, you can just go to LeakyCon.com, and there you'll find information about the uh, fan conference that's going to be held from July 13th to the 17th in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we're going to be doing a couple of podcasts there, and if you register for the conference, you'll be able to attend them. And, you know, we'll be doing our movie review episode, like I said, and of course, we'll be uh, taking questions and comments from the audience. I'm sure everybody's going to have a lot to say about it. And uh, I'm looking at the countdown now, and there's 99 days left <laughs> till the start of LeakyCon. Till LeakyCon, look at that. So that means like 101 days till uh, um, the film is released, which is crazy to think. Totally. We're going to have to make a news post on MuggleNet tomorrow. 100 days till it ends. (laughs) Till it ends. It all ends in 100 days. That's what we'll have to do. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you do register, just use referral code Muggle, and that way we'll know that you're coming. And we can't wait to see everybody. It's going to be a great time. And uh, more details coming up in the future. Cool. Let's you want to just wrap it? No, let's take some Muggle now. That way we can do it. Okay, sure. We can do it in like 10 minutes, and then we'll be done. Let's do some muggle mail. Go ahead, Eric. Take this first one. Right, first one's from Amber T. from Alameda, California. Subject is Dan's acting. Hi, Mugglecasters. This email's a bit out of the blue. However, I had an epiphany moment, and I thought I'd share. There's always been the discussion about Dan Radcliffe's acting in the film series. Maybe that's a little woody, 
or the emotion is at times forced. Personally, I think Dan the person is an inspiring young man, very wise and good-humored for his age. However, I have always agreed that, of all the young actors in the film, it was Harry's character that felt the worst acted. But I had a realization recently. Dan was so funny on extras. He's amazing in how to succeed in business. And he's so charismatic and witty in interviews. Why do I love him so much as everything but Harry Potter? I'm going to be controversial and blame the writers. Harry's character is so linguistically predictable in every film, he hasn't had a defined character arc in the series, and they passed by lots of chances to give him things to do, and instead gave him nothing to do but stare in a fireplace or look out a window. Sure, Book Harry may have done stuff like that, but this is a film and the audience should feel more connected to the main character than they do at this point in the series. Think about it, guys. Do you really feel for Harry in the film like you did for Harry in the book? I don't, but I don't blame Dan. The writers of the film series made us a wooden hero. Just venting lots of love and pickles. I think um, she actually brings up a very fair argument there. And I also think um, you may have a change to... Well, you, you may not have that opinion when you watch part two... And I think back again to that that scene after the Prince's Tale, where you really get a few moments with Harry and see his realization and reaction. And also when he's talking to his parents and Sirius in the um, in the forest right before approaching mm. Voldemort. Yeah. Um. There's some time there, you know, that you really get to see his character. Yeah. I, I think I think too that although that um you know in in contrast with previous films comes as a direct result of them saying, we need to make this film in two parts, where they're going to have all this extra time to do things like show Harry maturing, which, you know, it's kind of in in previous films, like, I kind of agree with her that that it's, you know, his age and his maturity is all kind of implied, you know, to be happening sort of behind the scenes, um, because all we see is him react to all these extraneous forces that are happening to him but but this time he's really got to come to the realization that he has to die and for that to mean anything you've actually got to spend some time watching him be- behave and be the character of harry so i think it's it's probably it's probably uh very plausible uh what she wrote in about but 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 in you know a movie too i think it will be dan's best performance as harry Next email is from Miriam, 19 of Toronto. She writes, Hey guys, I love, love, love the show. I just want to suggest slash correct a few things. Uh, not to sound like a know-it-all, but it was mentioned that if Dumbledore had given Lord Voldemort the defense against the dark arts, he, Dumbledore, would meet his downfall much sooner due to the prophecy. When Lord Voldemort seeks the position, the prophecy had not yet been made. I don't think Harry was even born. Also mentioned was why Lord Voldemort hadn't gone seeking the Horcruxes. To, re- to resurrect himself. In the series, it was mentioned that to reattach oneself, soul, via horcruxes, you have to feel remorse for the death committed to first create the horcrux. And the remorse felt would probably be the death of you. That being said, going after the horcruxes wouldn't be an ideal way for Lord Voldemort to resurrect himself. Thanks for being so awesome, Miriam. So thank you, Miriam, for those corrections. I mean, I think what, what Miriam said... um you know about well, who? Which one of us said that that Lord Voldemort would would have? I guess meant that Micah, because I didn't say it. Danfall. Interesting. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, and I think that the Horcruxes, the interesting thing about the Horcruxes is that the diary, for example, was kind of a reincarnation of Voldemort, or, you know, it wasn't the Voldemort we know being revived, um, but it was very, it came very close to being a full-fledged, even worse, teenage Voldemort, um, I guess, when he was sapping Ginny's power. So, it was interesting that the Horcruxes can kind of act independently and be, you know, each be sort of as threatening of Voldemort as the real deal who once inhabited the body. So that's what I thought when, when reading this email. Um, but the next one comes from Leah22 from Malibu, California. She says, Hi, MuggleCast. I'm a longtime listener and wanted to reply to Micah's question from episode 223's chapter-by-chapter segment. Micah asked if there was any religious symbolism parallels in the graveyard scene. Yes, there absolutely were. The graveyard scene evokes twisted Eucharistic imagery. In the Christian paradigm, Jesus willingly gave flesh and blood symbolized by bread and wine in the Christian communion ritual in a self-sacrificial act. Voldemort, as an idolatrous in that he's self-obsessed antichrist figure, is resurrected by a backwards ritual, blood and flesh take uh, blood and flesh taken, not given. That's very interesting. She says, also, I had a thought about your question as to Wormtail's ability as a weak character to cast the Avada Kedavra spell. It was reminded that the look of revulsion on Snape's face when he AK'd Dumbledore, and perhaps most likely, that revulsion was self-directed. Snape, quote, meant it when he killed Dumbledore because his hatred was genuine. His Snape hates himself. I don't think I'm far off the mark by guessing that Wormtail also experiences this self-revulsion when he kills Cedric. Here, here Wormtail is virtually Voldemort's slave, constantly demeaned, and only sticking around because he's too afraid to do otherwise. It's likely that Snape and Wormtail were able to project their self-hatred onto Dumbledore and Cedric, respectively, and therefore summon enough meaning to administer the killing curse. Thanks, love the show. Best wishes, Leah. What do you think about that? I, obviously, you guys did talk about that on the last show. God, I don't know. She's right. It did get long-winded. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, there, there were some interesting parallels there. I'm trying to remember if I brought this up. Um, but yeah, I particularly like the point about, um, the look of the revulsion on Snape's face. Yeah, I think, Dumbledore. I think with the, when it comes to Snape, my thoughts are that he is genuinely angry at Dumbledore. He almost doesn't need to be angry or disgusted with himself. He is angry that Dumbledore is making him kill him. And the final email today comes from John Spencer, 19, of Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, guys, I was just listening to episode 223 when you were talking about the Obliviate spell and how it seems some memory modifications could be reversed and some couldn't. Mike had mentioned that these differences could be because of the caster's intent, but I think it's deeper than that. There are plenty of discrepancies when it comes to spell casting in the HP series. Patronuses can be conjured to send messages as well as fight Dementors, though I doubt their incantation is any different. We have seen characters use the disarming charm to both make a weapon fly from their hands and to hurl them across a room. I think spells are very flexible. Wizards can manipulate them within certain parameters. My guess for memory modification is that, one, it may be easier for the witchard wizard who did the spell to undo it, and two, the spell could have been applied to varying strengths and after a certain point, it becomes dangerous, and after a certain point, it becomes dangerous to remove it without damaging the person whose memory has been modified that i I like that second point in particular so you know maybe the longer you're doing it the worse it gets 
Mm-hmm. I th- I think it's more to do personally. I feel like it's more about what you're covering up. Um, you know, if you're covering up something like a murder, it's gonna be it's gonna take a stronger spell to make that. Person- now, why is that? Isn't isn't that you just judging that a murder is worse than you know any well, other memory? Well, to be perfectly honest, a murder is what splits the soul and creates horcruxes. I mean, it's there, there's canonical. <laughs> but Voldemort doesn't have a problem with it. References? Well, no, but he's splitting his soul. Um, every time he does it, I think I think. The difference is, well, Gilderoy Lockhart, for instance, said, you know, a quote from him is that he's particularly good at memory charms. I think there is a certain skill, a learned skill that will allow you to cast them and make them kind of last for longer. I, I think it has to do with, uh, you know, weaker witches or wizards aren't able to do memory charms that are covering up something really bad or, or last for, for forever. And I think that that's, Really important. Also, Bethilda, um, no, I'm sorry, Baggins. No, not Baggins. Bagshot? No. Who's the witcher, who's the witch who goes missing in book four, um, fr- from the ministry? Uh, not Bethilda. Jorkins. Jorkins. Yes, Bertha Jorkins. Bertha Jorkins. <laughs> Baggins. Um, Bertha Jorkins, the, Voldemort, uh, is the one who broke her memory charm, um, or it was no, it wasn't Wormtail. Um, and he did that through torture. The idea that you can crucio somebody or cause somebody enough pain that they unforget what they have forgotten is is horrifying. But I think that that's what that kind of thing takes in order to unobliviate somebody. You need to cause that person pain. And again, stronger wizards alone can cause the most sort of pain that's going to be the most effective. So I don't know. That's that's how I feel about that. All right. Well, but I think John brings up some some good points, and so do you. It you know that'd be another one of those questions that needs to be asked of Joe to hear hear her uh, hear hear what she thinks. But she won't be answering us as pen and paper are her priority at the moment. Maybe on an encyclopedia to explain such a thing. Oh, look at that. Maybe. Well, before we say goodbye to everybody, don't forget about our website, MagoCast.com. It is all the information you need about each and every episode that we do here for you. And you, there on the site, you'll find uh, several important links. There's a Twitter button, so you can follow us, Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. There's a Like Us on Facebook button, Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. And we recently added to our site, it's actually, it's been a, around for a little for a good amount of time. Um, a fan tumbler, a fan tumbler, mugglecast.tumblr.com. If you use Tumblr, you can, um, follow this, this fan tumbler. And, um, I say fan tumbler because it's run by, uh, two great fans, Allie and Angel. And, um, Get some fun MuggleCast updates that way as well. Yeah, they put yeah, quotes they, and they pictures. Quotes, latest episodes, pictures of us, you know, retro pictures of us um, that are pretty cool. It's kind of it's kind of a good um, – it's always like a flashback and a flash current, so it's kind of cool. <laughs> flashback, flash current. Flash current, flash sideways. What are you yeah. going to say? I don't know. What the All right. right. Well, yeah, that, that, good enough. And also on MuggleCast.com, click on contact at the top. You can email us and maybe you'll e- your email will be read on the show. If it's not read on the show, it'll definitely be read by one of us as we sort through the mailbag as we pick out emails to read on the air. Micah will so, be back with us on next MuggleCast. Yes, which will be sooner than your normally scheduled MuggleCast because we have lots still more to talk about. News, news, news. Yeah. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. And I'm Eric Skull. And we'll see you next time for episode 2 2 5 Beep, beep. Bye.